coming from a working class background, like I come from like very laddish culture, which is almost like either the sweet mate, sort of rude boys. But it's also the fact that, you know, I'm a puppet, you know, I'm a sensitive soul. I'm a child of the mother. I was born in 1994. How do I start? Poetry prescribed, pen perfectly poised. It was supposed to be you. I've always been shit at man. Was he ever scared? In this poem. Everything I want is already mine. First Spoken Podcast. Yes, yes, yes. You're listening to the Word Spoken Podcast, the poetry podcast which brings you the best. I am your host, Henry, and this is episode 39. We've got the wonderful George Lawrence coming on to the show. But before I tell you a little bit about him, a bit of uh, housekeeping. So you listening right now, if you want to have your poetry featured on Word Spoken in an upcoming open mic episode, then take part in the Take the Mic series. So I I ran this um, about a month ago and I was overwhelmed with how many amazing people sent in their work for it to be featured on the show, um, but I could only pick 10 people. So here is your chance to come at this again. Um, send in to wordspokenpodcast at gmail.com your poetry and I will pick the best ones for an upcoming open mic episode. So we have George Lawrence coming onto the show, filmmaker, photographer, and of course, poet. His work combines a man about town attitude with a sensitivity and emotional awareness only the art form of spoken word could elicit. His softly uttered verses explore the complexities of manhood, the inner mind of an awakened social critic and the intricacies and nuances our modern world tends to throw at us. In this episode, we hear three incredible pieces, the first of which is entitled The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, followed by Shark Teeth and finally Aluminium Carpet. I managed to call that one at the end there, aluminum carpet towards the end, which is, you know, amazing. Um, to give him a follow on Instagram, which of course you want to do, it's at Trigger Crappy. Yes, you did hear that right. Um, in this episode, we talk about a number of things. We kind of start off by talking about how we got into spoken word. He's someone that actually had to take annual leave in order to go and perform at his first open mic. More about that coming right up. Um, we talk about as well his involvement with Word of Mouth London, which is a collection of poets, filmmakers and musicians, all with kind of one ambition to create great spoken word content. So um, it's kind of great to chat to him about that. He also gives us some tips and um, tricks that we can do to create great spoken word video content on a budget. Just a couple of things to have a think about when you're kind of making your videos we also have the 155 challenge and we have some great eyes and ears towards the end. So enjoy this episode. Hope you like it. The first piece we're going to hear from George Lawrence is entitled The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. The revolution will not be televised because we are ill-advised. Media's mantra is pushed by Philistines to vilify and caramelize their villainry so we enjoy a sweet taste when they fill us with lies. Cause a narcissist will rise, nihilist complies, the anarchist can't decide which side to support until we are bought. Given all you can eat data in exchange for the freedom of our thoughts and the fraudulent data harvest that will target our catharsis. Vanquishing our inner Marxists unveiling the darkest. Propaganda that propagates profits by drilling into the cavities of our misplaced anger and appealing to the vanity of our nostalgia. 
Because we've all seen stranger things, it seems. Trapped in the tragedy of a Shakespearean wet dream made defunct. Digitally drunk. Can't take a stand against the tire-wearing cyberpunks like Robert Mercer. Who got the answer from Neuromancer. Blueprinted a rose-tinted election and those who are minted are sadistic in manipulation, creating a PR contest armed to the teeth with algorithms to vote against your interests. Whilst they pop a populist prescription, but brother, you should have read the terms and conditions. And how's the cesspool with fake information you dragged us down into? Are you more financially successful? Slightly less fearful? And don't scorn at my question. Please look cheerful because you were promised a diamond exit got annoyed when it revealed to be Topaz. Whereas the last line of defense is keeping the internet neutral, free and formless like jazz. And if we don't, next time we log on, we'll be entering Alcatraz. Because the NSA emerged from the crevice to hear what you say, provide a service to stop parlor shame, go from big data to big brother to why the fuck should we even bother? When we're molded into plastic people with a needle and our cerebral. Lobotomized, strained out our chemicals, vandalize ourselves so we no longer feel equal to the celebs that hand sanitize. We erect the great firewall causing a great digital divide and if I had to talk about my generation, it'd be tape up your webcam because you're going out live. And how privacy represents a burnt hard drive. So unplug, tune in and stay outside. Because the revolution will not be televised but it stirs in places like this. Be a landslide emotion of injustice that you will not dismiss. So pucker up your lips and give this government a death kiss. Boom. So there we go. That was George Lawrence with The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Um, Hello, George. How are you doing, buddy? Are you well? Yeah, I'm doing really good right now. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, mate, I'm all right. Um, look, that first piece that you just performed for us was wicked. I absolutely loved it, man. Thank you, man. Um, thank you so much. There's a line which I wrote down in my little notepad, right, as you were doing that. And I absolutely loved it. It's when we're molding into plastic people. That just burned an image in my mind. And I just thought it was a really good line, mate. I um, appreciate that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of why you wrote that piece, the first one? Ah, I think I, broke, I wrote this after Brexit in like 2016 because I'm one of these people, like I do quite a lot of research through The Guardian and what's happening in terms of data. And like everyone after that vote, I just became really annoyed. But then when I started doing the research in Cambridge Analytica through people like, Nora, like um, Robert Mercer, who's this massive tycoon who basically managed to help Trump get elected as well as the Brexit movement, it kind of irritated the... Uh, labor person inside of me <laughs> and it's something that i think is incredibly important you know our data as a personal asset and i think we need to be more conscious about how we give it to people you yeah. know something is not necessarily for free you know that's why all of these sites are free that is the thing i mean yeah when there's that old kind of i mean it's not an old saying is it but when something is free right um it isn't the product you are mm. like you are the product with, with all of these online apps right we're serving them we're mm. serving the platform that's how it works yeah i know it's kind of crazy it's um no i lo- i like think you kind of put it into words really really well in that piece and um yeah thanks man um no problem so look why don't you why don't we kind of start off here by you telling us a little bit about how and why you got into spoken word oh man that's a that's a crazy story um 
like most people who watched um, Eight Mile, you know, and as a white person, I was just like, you know what? Yeah, I can rap. <laughs> you know, I, I got I got like talent for this, and then ended up doing a couple of rap battles at school where I got destroyed. Really? Yeah, really. Really savage. It was so savage that I had to basically go to the toilet. Yeah, just, just like there. just like Eminem. Yeah, in Eight Mile, you were yeah. living out the full uh, dream. I know. I poured spaghetti over me as well, just to <laughs> yeah, just to feel it. You know, feel the emotion. A full reenactment of the scene. Yeah, staring into the mirror ominously. Like yeah, it was. But then after I graduated from uni, I just kept writing quite a lot of stuff, which kind of transformed into stuff which I preferred it from an acapella point of view. And it was something for me to give myself a lot more confidence. I mean, there's nothing more that breeds confidence than you being like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to have an, I'm going to write something which I'm going to perform in front of people, which is strictly my own. And yeah, it's earth shattering in a way, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I think when, when people move from kind of rap to spoken word, I think the main thing they say is there's like a layer, which you just have to take off Mm. in or not, Literally, I mean, you could do if you wanted to, but there's like a kind of uh, layer that you kind of wear. There's a there's maybe a bit more of like an ego that you have to kind of have with with rap, which uh, when it kind of moves onto spoken words, suddenly that kind of might not be as helpful, and you can find yourself being a bit more raw and honest. Was that was it, was that something that you you found? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was um, it was that, and I remember I wrote this poem which was something that wasn't like all about bravado because like, you know, especially rap, you know, probably like five to 10 years ago was a lot about bravado. And for me, I was just like, I've, you know, I fell for a woman. So I decided to write a poem about a woman and it kind of got me more in touch to the sensitive side. And I just had this burning urge just to perform it because I thought it was good. You know, I shared it with people like you normally do just to be like, look, am I delusional in thinking this is good? You know, and from there, you just get up onto the stage and yeah, you perform, you know, and then whatever happens, happens. And I think that moment before people started clapping was the most anxiety ridden moment of my life. Really? Because you're just thinking, am I validated in this point? Where was the first time that you did it live? Uh, jaw dance. Jaw dance. Okay, so quite a big, quite a big stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so was your name pulled out of the hat, right? That's how it works there. It was crazy because I remember, um, I'll never forget, I took a couple of friends down like we all do just to have that kind of um, confidence of your entourage to come be like, yeah, you can do it. Yeah. And um, I remember two people got their names called out of the hat on the first round. And for some reason I stood up because I had a feeling my name was going to be called. And I was so nervous to the point that when you have to sit at the side with Richard, like, you know, in jaw dance and just wait until you get called up, which oh, is even yeah, on, on that little school bench. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you're waiting in line at PE or something. Yeah. It's either that, like you're going to be the human sacrifice, you know, I felt like I was taking it back to the Aztecs. <laughs> a, lamb, a lamb to the slaughter. And yeah, it was nerve wracking to the point I had to down like two cans of red stripe just to like kind of stop myself from shaking in a way. And then, so what was the piece that you did? Can you, um, it's, yeah, it was, um, cassette tape, which is about like, um, me comparing rela- previous relationships that I've had to, or women I've been with to different formats of music. So, so, uh, you know, you'd kind of finished that piece. You had your little moment and you were like, shit, did that go down well? I imagine it did mm. go down well. So what was that feeling like when you kind of realized that that was actually pretty good and people liked it? I think, I think it's the feeling that everyone feels when they perform. It's just this adrenaline rush and yeah. you kind of become fixated on that. 
because you just like I just became I just overcame a massive hurdle for me but yeah I still want more mm. and then it changes your mindset where you think okay cool I can actually do this um, there'll be certain things that will change in terms of how I did it in terms of how I introduced myself because I didn't say a word I just said I'm just going to do this up on a stage which you're just like because you're so nervous but from there you start becoming critical about how you do perform I think I think after you've done it for the first time you 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 really find your style much mm. easier or, or or you start to understand what your kind of style is and what you bring to the art form that no one else does like I think prior to doing it for the first time like everyone this is understandable but everyone just kind of doubts themselves like you said like I, mm. I was exactly the same you just think everyone else is amazing and you're going to get up and make an idiot of yourself and that isn't the case it's true you kind of think that people are going to have vegetables to throw at you you know tomatoes <laughs> being lobbed like it's like literally yeah it's weird but then so after that kind of night did you kind of realize okay whoa this is a bit of me now i'm gonna jump in to this as an art form and kind of go with it or was it still a bit of a slow process from that first night it was a very slow process for me because i was working nights in john lewis so to be able to perform i had to basically take a holiday wow yeah that is commitment did you really yeah to to, to go to an open mic night you had to take a day off work i had to take a day off work to do it mate i love that (laughs) (laughs) that's commitment man that really is yeah thank god i had a holiday pay which is good so because you know big up john lewis and the partnership but yeah they yeah i had to keep on doing it. i had to be selective on my days so i had to do the research in terms of rather than because i think if you have the luxury to basically go tonight's go tonight's but i had to do my research beforehand to figure out which nights to go to because i'm taking a day off work hey that is a serious commitment yeah. <laughs> that is that is great though man look i i like think it just kind of goes to show that you know, this art form can really grip people, right? Mm. Like what, there's probably a few other things where people would like take a day just to do one performance. That Also at that night at Jordan's, you don't even know whether you're going to get on the mic. True. I didn't know that until I arrived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know if you're going to go on. You could have taken a day's thing and not even done it. Yeah. But sometimes it's worth the risk, you know? It yeah. Definitely is. Yeah. That is a really great night. So just for anyone that isn't aware of that night, obviously it's not happening right now, but it's run by Yomi Sode and uh, it's great. It's in Rich Mix in Shoreditch. Um, it's called Jaw Dance. Follow that page, follow whatever. Um, go to it when it's back up and mm. running, right? Because it's, it's um, epic. It's really, really good. Great energy in the room. And yeah, it's something that I really miss, isn't it? He's such a good host. He's he really such is. a good host. He really is. And just kind of effortlessly guides it along, right? And gets the people up and gets people encouraged. Yeah, no. I, I really, think that's really the most it. important thing he does is his encouragement of new people coming through. Like he does it quite often when you just like, when you can tell someone's nervous and he just kind of gives them a little boost. Just yeah. by giving them a compliment and it just, you can see how massively it helps people who are, who are performing for the first time. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so, okay, cool. So the, the next thing I want to speak to you a little bit about is your involvement with word of mouth. So uh, can you give us a bit of an intro to word of mouth for those who might not have heard of it? Word of mouth, we are a, a small collective of like filmmakers who are also musicians and poets ourselves who really want to start to pioneer videos within spoken word because one of the hardest things for a poet to have is to have a video done of them, you know, which helps them get more feature nights where they can actually potentially get paid. So they actually have visual examples if they want to pursue funding 
through the Arts Council or any other means so they can actually have this sense of professionalism. And for us, we got really hooked with um, spoken word because it's such an easy format to record, you know, and people are very approachable doing it. And for us, we wanted to basically start running a night, which we did for six months initially, um, where I was the host for it. And we kind of wanted to take the next step in terms of the visual visualization of spoken word, which is in some ways can be lacking, but then you've got great night, great, um, YouTube channels such as Muddy Feet Poetry who do an incredible job with their videos. Yeah, for sure. It's like they're, they've upped their game so much over the past two years and you just got to commend them in terms of the posts that they get. And for us, like we really want to kind of, um, branch out and understand different types of poetry, you know, because I feel like sometimes poetry can be very um, segregated in terms of the styles and what actually gets recorded. Mm. So for us, we kind of want to find a niche in that and then work together to, yeah, build something that's collectively British in a way and collectively um, artistic. I think you've done exactly that. Like I urge anyone that is listening that haven't checked out some of the um, clips and the kind of stuff that you guys have to go and do so. They literally have to, have to search for Word of Mouth London, right? That, yep. That's it. There's just some amazing content on there. And I think what what you do uh, really, really well, which is what you kind of just says, is you're, you're, you're shining a light on the UK scene in a way which allows it to have reach, mm. right? Because um, it's it's kind of one of the reasons I started this podcast was I felt like there's so much talent on the scene. There's, there's so many talented people, but I felt like the art form lacked a kind of digital footprint, which did it justice, mm. right? And I think what what you guys bring really, really well is those visuals. It turns a poem into what it's meant to be, right? And I just think it's really, really great. So how, how many have you done now? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> you um, got to check the stats. <laughs> I think probably we must have recorded over, like, including events, including actual flagship videos, which you call them when we get people in locations or in the studio. It has to be over 100 videos now, which is... um which is great for us in terms of the content that we grow up, but we still, we see there's kind of like a US shift in terms of content. Like, you know, the US gets quite, you know, more fused than any UK talent gets, which quite frankly, I think is very unjustified. Yeah. Because there is, so, like you touched upon earlier, is the fact that there is so much great diverse talent in the UK, which doesn't get the same accolades as, you know, our American counterparts. Which yeah. I think is very important for us. No, you're right. Because also, when you look at like um, Button, the 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 numbers of views they get are incredible. <laughs> yeah, like it, millions. Some of them, literally, some have properly like popped off, and it, and and it kind of does it justice. Right, it's what that piece should really get. But there aren't many other YouTube channels that I've come across. Maybe there are. I prove to be, <laughs> I stand to be corrected. Um, there aren't many other U- YouTube channels getting those kind of numbers. Why, like, do you think think that is? I think part of it is probably in terms of um, button poetry is they're probably they're tied to quite a lot of um, international competition or national competitions. Mm. So when you look at quite a few of their videos, they are at, you know, a slam champion in a way, which is like a really big deal in America. Whereas us, we, I think we're a lot more underground in terms of our slam. I mean, you can be titled, I remember finding out a couple of years ago, for example, to be titled, um, um, world slam champion you had to go through can't remember the name of the organizations but no one heard about it i never heard about it yeah and only certain people do know about it so just to get that accolade where in america i think it's a lot more of a big deal where over us over here i think we're trying to shape a different culture you know mm. because it's based on different styles but it's also based on different personalities which is 
think one of the most fundamental important things with poetry. It is kind of a weird one, isn't it? I guess we over here in England look to the US in in many ways. And I think there's lots of things that we could kind of learn from mm. them. But in a way, I feel like it's kind of quite hard in our British context because we're so... We like to understate ourselves. We like to undervalue our, ourselves and kind of come across as quaint and grateful, right? Mm. And that's just, those are traits which like the majority of, of Americans don't feel are that important. And I feel like maybe that's a bit of a hindrance as, as to why that kind of slam stuff is so big. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers and views can get massive. And it just yeah, it doesn't translate over here. Because the thing is, it's the competitive element, you know, which is very big in America. You know, America is a country of competition. You know, when you think about it, it's like to fulfill the American dream. Mm. Where for us, I think like we're very, like you said, we're very understated, which is a massive hindrance even because I feel like if we did have the same kind of approach that Americans do have in terms of this, not competitiveness, but this kind of approach to be more assertive in our talents, then we're quite frankly on par, if not probably better than some of the American poetry. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because like, we're not biased at all. (laughs) No, but but, I mean, we are, aren't we? But, 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 but the problem isn't talent is, I guess I think what we're Mm. kind of saying here, like that is not the issue. That's not the barrier to kind of future growth. There is plenty of talent in our, in our scene in in the UK. Um, It's just, I guess it's just cultural stuff, isn't it? And Mm. like, uh, whatever. Um, So yeah, lots more. I actually want to ask you a little bit about um, production and word of mouth, but we're going to do that after the second piece that we're going to hear from you that you're going to perform for us. So the next piece that you're going to do for us is entitled Shark Teeth. Shark Teeth. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this piece before we hear it? Um, I think it, deals with quite a lot of stuff that you or teenagers go through is this um, notion of self-confidence in particular and trying to compare yourself to others without actually realizing that you're the only person that you need to compare yourself to. I love this piece. Honestly, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think people are going to really, really like it. So look, I'm just going to stop rambling and uh, we're going to jump on and hear it. So this is George Lawrence with Shark Teeth. Growing up, I used to have teeth like a shark. I would barely smile fearing the remarks in secondary school, where I used to be called fuck ugly. So ugly. It was no wonder my entire family didn't even want me. Yeah, them words stung hard, man. Alone like Tarzan in the jungle, your mind would rumble when your emotion leaves, starved, and being parentless, well... It's like learning how to swim with punched armbands. Attempting to lift the weight of this adult world with these glass hands. And I couldn't stand up for myself. As I was made from Samuel Jackson's bones, I was left to atone at another foster home with these sins I've inherited. I'm learning a hateful prerogative, using anger as a sedative. Redness overexposes the negative. Now I have celluloid nightmares. I meet her now like some of my relatives. And if the world's going to reject me, well, they say, fuck me. I might as well embellish it. And relish the thought when I throw a table at a teacher and say, catch. All because I had sudden animosity towards his soul patch, always held back at lessons, smart ass, asking the difficult questions, then detained in detention when, quite frankly, all I wanted was some extra attention. 
thinking these teachers were here to entertain me at home. I had PTSD, visions of Guernica, destroying every single household furniture. The pot boils over to the playground, the glass shatters, but it doesn't make a sound when my fist goes straight through a window. And a crimson waterfall is created from the back of another kid's skull. Anger unleashed and with no control leaves you filling with this dread after every single blow. And resuming the decline to the lowest of lows, resuming the decline to the lowest of lows. Because all I wanted to do was just crack a joke and smile. But it's been a while since I did. The last time I did, they winced and I still haven't been able to smile since C. All I wanted to do was crack a joke and smile, but it's been a while since I did. The last time I did, they winced and I still haven't been able to smile since. So there we go. That was George Lawrence with Shark Teeth. Um, A wonderful piece. Anything a piece in which so many people are going to be able to relate to, right? That's kind of really, like you really painted the kind of teenage angsty self mm. perfectly well there. The kind of anger, the confusion, the the aggression, everything. Mm. It was great. Well done, man. I really, Thank really like that line where you're like, resuming the decline to the lowest of lows. I think that one kind of jumped out at me a lot. Um, so thank you. Oh, no worries. For that <laughs> um, what, what I want to kind of ask is, um, where do you feel your style with spoken word has kind of come from in your life? Um, it definitely, it definitely comes from obviously like um, hip hop for an example, but it also comes from like, I've, I'm from family members who are great storytellers. Like you are just phenomenal when they tell stories. So for me, I always want to embed a certain aspect of a story, you know, or a character arc within the spoken word, especially with some of my later pieces. My early pieces were all about wordplay, just to be like, look, look, look how sick I am. You know, look, look how articulate I am for someone who um, couldn't speak properly until, you know, had um, braces, basically. And for me, yeah, it comes from that in terms of um, trying to combine every single thing that I've witnessed to pull it into something that can resonate for me personally, you know, mm. so I think that's the most important part. It isn't about the audience. It's about what you feel from it. You know, I, I remember times I've finished writing poetry and I've broken down into tears because I've really felt what I was saying in that particular moment. But in terms of style, yeah, it kind of varies, but I'm trying to get more into a storytelling vibe these days because some of my favorite poets are like really good storytellers like Alexander Woodward, um, yeah, Miss Shanky, she's an incredible storyteller. Yeah. And um, Desiree as well, she's absolutely incredible. So I'm trying to kind of like understand where they go because watching them perform is almost like they take you onto different emotional journeys mm. and they make you feel high, they make you feel low. And it's this sheer sympathy that they, you have for this person. And then you're with them on that journey, you know. And it's just for me, it's incredibly beautiful when a poet gets that right in terms of almost being like the puppeteer of your emotions. No, I, I, I think you summed that up kind of really, really nicely. And um, definitely with a piece like the one we've just heard, you, you can really see that there's kind of value and there's purpose in writing a piece like that. You know, it, just in terms of kind of self-growth, self-learning, right? It's, it's, I like feel like writing spoken word and, and, and thinking about it in those kind of terms, like taking the listener on a journey with you 
it's just such an effective way of dealing with emotions or things that have happened to you in your life. You kind of like write them down on a page and then you organize them and think about them in a logical kind of start, middle, end fashion. And for me, it kind of just seals that little topic or issue up mm. perfectly. And then I think in your in own nice head, you understand boat. it better. Yeah. You know, like, because you're, 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 you're essentially trying to write something so that when someone listens to it, they're engaged and they understand it. Right. Mm. Which I feel like is something that translates subconsciously back to you. Like when you're writing this stuff up, you're more engaged with what actually happened. And then you understand it more because mm. you've like org- organized it in a way. I'm kind of rambling. No, I know what <laughs> but, you mean. Yeah, because it's, it's, the thing is, is that not every, the way I believe it is not everyone's going to relate to your entire poem, but they can relate to certain aspects of it. You yeah. know, there's certain lines that resonate with people more than other lines. You know, if um, I was to perform that, some people would take other lines from that and then you're taking other lines as well, which is kind of a really interesting thing about poetry because you can kind of have that access. There's always something that does relate back to you and you. And it's great because it kind of demonstrates all of our individual struggles as well as all of our triumphs all at the same time that we can all relate to. Yeah. We're not dissimilar as people. So um, among your kind of creative strings to your bow, is photography, uh, is video videography, as we've spoken about with what you're kind of doing with word of mouth and also your writing. You also kind of do a bit of music as well, right? Yeah, a tiny uh, bit, yeah. Um, so what would you say is the kind of coherent strand throughout all your creative outlets for you? In, in what way? Well, what what would you say kind of binds them? Like what 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 is the kind of common themes that you tend to like to go to or access whilst creating something? For me, it has to demonstrate like a, a thought process that I have or an emotion that I feel. You know, um, if it starts out with like a line or um, or a vision or not, like, because the thing is, it's weird how ideas come to you. Um, it can either be like an image, it can be something audible, or it could be something that you write down. So for me, I try to just be open to it. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, I was trying to be like forceful in that creative process, but it's whatever comes to me, comes to me. And then I have to make a note of it then and then develop it if I still feel it later on. Or you can go through the experience where you just like, okay, I'm just going to explore and just see what the hell happens because I'm in the zone for doing it. Yeah. Or I think part of it is about creating a space. I mean, because I'm turning my place into a photography studio at the moment. So I had um, a couple of um, people come in to do headshots and it's about creating a, a space for almost creativity and play. You know, I want the subject to be feeling playful, you know, and I want to feel playful as well. And I feel poetry and same with um, writing and videography is the same process. It's just in this notion of play. You've got to be playing around. If you become too conscious of the experience, then it just undermines the whole process. Well, look, mate, talking of play, we have reached the part of the show, which is entitled 155. Now, are you ready for this? Good segue. <laughs> Great segue, mate. You can tell I've been doing this for a while. Okay, 155 is the part of the show where we get our guest, where we challenge our guests even to a quick fire free write. The rules are as follows. You must pick a word out of that box right in front of us and write a piece all about that word. You have got one minute 55 to complete this task, after which you, George Lawrence, solemnly swear 
to read it out loud. Now, do you solemnly swear to read it out loud? Unfortunately, so. Okay. Yeah. Now, that is a w- verbal contract, but it is binding nonetheless. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, the first thing we need to do is grab this little box in front of you. We want to pass it to you. There you go. Give that a little shake. It's a word spoken box. You can tell that because it's got a word spoken sticker on the outside. It's not mate. a Tupperware. Um, so, <laughs> okay. Word has been picked up. Cool. I can take that. And if you could kindly read out the word that you have picked out from the word spoken box. Elephant. Elephant. Right. There you go. Now, so look, you can use it as a prompt. I'm going to give you your book and your piece of paper. Um, so, yeah. Elephant. I mean, I don't know where you're going to take that. Just use it as a prompt. Take it wherever you want to go. Um, this is the 155 Challenge with George Lawrence. Your time starts now. Okay, so George is writing away. Now, whilst we do this, I'll give you a couple of reminders for everyone at home. If you want to watch what's going on right here, if you want to watch the performances as well as the conversations, as well as proof that George has done this in 1 minute 55, you can watch the entirety of this episode up on YouTube. And if you do so, you've got to subscribe, like, all that bloody blah good stuff it really helps out for the show um and i'll be really grateful so he's frantically writing away remember he did promise to read it out so he's gonna have to read it out um the other thing is you can take part in this challenge the 155 challenge so you've got to do a piece with the prompt of the word elephant send in whatever you guys come up with and i send the winner a word spoken mug now this is a coveted word spoken mug um and you would be the proud owner of one so all you have to do is send in via dm or to wordspokenpodcast at gmail.com and i will flick through each ones i get and the winner will get their very own word spoken mug what is not to like about that so i say don't be a mug win a mug now look we're getting very very close there's probably about 30 seconds left i feel like george is looking a little bit frantic i love how dramatic the music is (laughs) the music's intense right um okay cool so we've got about 20 seconds left reminder send in whatever you come up with the prompt is elephant this is the 155 challenge if you don't already follow us on instagram at word spoken podcast make sure you do that 10 second countdown Okay, I will give you time to collect your thoughts. Put your pens down. You at home and you, George Lawrence. <laughs> Mic drop. I must right. say, I am not confident. Are you not? Okay, well, look, in order to kind of build up that confidence, I'll like give you just, you, you read it through once in your head, right? Just kind of build up where I, you I think can make this it could work. go. I can make it work. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you got this. So are you ready? Okay, so this is the 155 challenge with George Lawrence with the prompt elephant. There's a blue elephant in the cage, but don't think of it. It's drinking beer from its trunk, but don't think of it. The tusk is green trying to unpick the lock, but don't think of it. The cage doesn't exist, so don't think of it. Oh, man. 
Put it there. That was really good. Oh, thank you. Honestly, okay. Have you surprised yourself? Because we like prior to doing this, I felt you were like a, a bit apprehensive about. Oh, it's very apprehensive. That was me. really good. The th- Do you know what I think you've done there more than anyone else? And it actually speaks to what you said earlier on the show. Is told a story with it. There's a, there was a kind of like movement through that, and there was it was very like thought out. When we've had we've had um like a couple people, and they were just like right, 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 right. Like it was like a full page of stuff, and that was great as well. But that was kind of concise and really well written. Well done, man. Yeah, that was me just trying to improvise. Basically, <laughs> I don't, I don't have, to, I don't think I have the patience to be like because I think you go through the self editing process, you know. Yeah, yeah, which is good, good to, but it's good for some people just to have that free writing. That was fun though. That was really fun. Yeah, it was kind of stressful. I would recommend anyone enjoy the dramatic music to go along with it. I felt like I was on like an adult version of Countdown. Yeah, actually, I need one of them. Well, that's kind of what that was, wasn't it? So, well done, George. That was generally very impressive so nice one um so look um my next kind of question is obviously with kind of going a a little bit back to your word of mouth stuff but with word of mouth you guys were behind the production of a night which is usually running isn't at the moment called word up Mm. um so can you great night by the way absolutely great night a good night it's uh one of my favorites it like really is um it's the thing is for me it's probably one of the most wholesome nights Mm. in london it's it's great in terms of it's, it's it's a mission to get to. Don't get me wrong, but when you go there, you just feel like you're part of family, basically. Totally. What is it that you guys do with word of mouth at that night that kind of make it a night, perhaps unlike many others? Well, for word up or yeah, for word up. I mean, we just were asked whether we wanted to, you know, do the recording for it, and we were just like, yeah, because me, me and Harry, who's like my partner in crime, absolutely love the whole process of recording poetry. You know, it's very enlightening where you get to hear people tell so many great jokes as well. And we managed to get in touch with Charlie to basically get us involved, which was, yeah, it was a dream to be honest with you because Charlie's such a great person in general. Like he's so lovely and he does so much towards the night as well as the rest of the team, Mm. Hannah and Desiree. They do so much towards it, which they're able to actually finance and pay artists as well, which is very important because they've got Arts Council funding. And to be honest, it's one of them institutions that definitely need to be protected within the spoken word scene. 100%. Because also you can basically, so I've gone like a couple of times and you go as an open micer and you leave with something on YouTube that's, mm. that looks good and sounds good, you know? And um, that's Charlie on sound right there. Yeah. <laughs> shout, shout out to Charlie. But no, but those are something which you know, uh, a lot of the people that write and perform at open mics kind of are wanting but don't necessarily have. And I think that's something which just completely blows it out Mm. for me in like terms of making a kind of really great night. What are some of the things that people can do, do you think, perhaps on a budget to help themselves kind of create more content like that? To be honest, I think the benefit we have right now is the fact that Depends how seriously you want to do. Like you can either buy yourself a DSLR and record some stuff in your bedroom, but at the same time, you can also use your own phone, you know, or you can get your friends to record you with like, you know, a gimbal, like a mini gimbal, if you want have the money to invest. Or if not, just make sure it's all about, for me, it's all about lighting. You know, if you've got a phone, like, you know, like the setup you've got here, you have a light coming down. If you have a light, just purchase a light or have it right next to a window and a decent enough microphone. I think microphones on phones these days are absolutely incredible. You know, I've used them for voiceover work when people haven't even noticed, noticed the difference. 
And I think it's a part of that, just being conscious of the composition in which you're trying to shoot as well, mm. which I can go into like in depth about the golden ratio, like, you know, the rule of thirds, but it's being conscious about what you're trying to shoot and why you're shooting it, you know, because lighting is really important. If you want to do something, a poem that's really like bright and happy, do it next to a window, you know, where you've got loads of natural light coming in. Or if you want to do one that's a bit dark, just have like, you know, a small, like, yeah, lamp just coming in, create more of a dramatic effect or shine underneath you. But there's so many different ways you can do it. Or just hope to be friends with people who like to record you. <laughs> yeah. And well, not in no, a creepy too. way. No, no, I th- but I think you're right. I think one of the things that I um want to kind of urge people really is understanding that everyone has a phone, right? Mm. And the cameras on them are pretty good, mostly. Like most iPhones say you have an iPhone. Their cameras are pretty good. Like my one's old, but even still, it's perfectly fine. As you said, most, most mics do a perfect job of it. And it is, and it is that. It's just thinking a little bit about some kind of basic look. Only just a small bit of thought into mm. what you kind of want it to look like and why you want it to look like that. And I think people can shock themselves with how good they can make their content with the stuff available to them now. I think it's important just because it's just the fundamentals when you want, do you want the camera higher than you or lower than you? If the camera's lower than you, then you look more empowering. If the camera's higher than you, then you look more um, submissive, you know, and that can basically dictate how your poem is, you know, like if you want to seem empowered and have the camera lower than you, and if not have it higher than you, there's so many different techniques that you can use to help facilitate what you actually want to achieve. Yeah. And look, I, I urge anyone that is listening that um, maybe hasn't done that yet, right? Maybe you have a couple of pieces and you're missing the open mics because they're not going on right now. Use your time now to kind of think, to to put the time into those kind of things because they can serve you really, really well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and listen to that wise words there from George. Um, so mate, we're moving on to the uh, final piece that you're going to perform for us. It is called Aluminium Carpets. Um, give us the kind of preamble to this one. I remember I started reading um, the works. I was recommended a poet by another poet um, called Bobby Parker. And I started reading his stuff and his stuff is all about like working class culture in a way. and it's almost like ramblings. And I was in Italy when I was reading it. And as soon as I finished one of these um, poems, which is Heroin Lullaby, great poem, anyone should read it. Um, it just m- gave me this urge in a long time just to write something from the top of my head, which this is what came about, which was aluminium carpet. Well, great. Look, let's jump on and hear it. So this is George Lawrence with the third and final piece. We're going to hear from him before we jump into eyes and ears and all the good stuff coming up afterwards. This is George Lawrence with aluminium Carpet. Another late night drinking loud spirits. And now the morning has an aluminium carpet that I kick. Just like the cans us kids use as footballs that we knock round the streets trying to nutmeg each other. We are both hung over even though I didn't drink. And your voice sounds like shoveling gravel into a hollow pit that leads directly to the core. As you proposition me to skip school. To tidy the mayhem you carried over into sobriety. Into a room that still has the curtain drawn to conceal the world from your shame. And I obliged. It was simpler than me either skipping school or walking into a lesson armed with a fake cough that irritates and silences teachers. 
But I notice that your thoughts are behind your skull, resting uncomfortably. Rushing to work. A job title I didn't bother to remember when you wiped away my naivety. The same way you wiped away the white powder from your nose and closed the door behind me. So there we go. That was George Lawrence with Aluminium Carpet. Um, And again, that was another beautiful kind of piece. I think the kind of like common theme in your work is it's very relatable. I think you definitely stick to kind of, you know, you want to have a story to it, but also there's a kind of a laddishness to it, but emotional awareness. Does that Mm. make sense? Like both of those things that kind of the same time it's, is that that a fair uh, comment? (laughs) I think, yeah, it is because it's um, coming from a working class background. Like I do, I come from like very laddish culture, which is almost like either the sweet mate sort of rude boys, which is something that's fundamental to growing up in London in particular. But it's also the fact that, you know, I'm a puppet, you know, I'm mm. a sensitive soul. I mean, if I wasn't, then I wouldn't be doing poetry. You know, I wouldn't be doing filmmaking. I wouldn't be doing photography, which is good to kind of merge them together. And it's taken a while where I'm getting to the point now I feel very comfortable with how I'm getting there to tell yeah. these stories. No, I mean, I, I love that. And I'm glad and I'm really glad you have because it adds um, something which not everyone else has onto the scene, which is the whole point of this art form, right? Like, I guess it's the same with all other art forms, but because we're just using our voice and we're using our words, like the variety is endless um, and the stories and the style is just, yes, yeah, why I love it. Mm. Amen. <laughs> um, Amen. So talking a little bit about that. So uh, the other kind of thing, obviously we've spoken about your video content, but you've kind of recently been involved with London Fashion Week um, and making some kind of content for them. Um, and I watched the clip. And it's epic. It's really, really cool. So can you tell us a little bit about your videography as a kind of, and your like filmmaking as a professional filmmaker that you are? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that shoot because that was the most drama I've ever had on a shoot in my life. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's, it made me realize why I love filmmaking so much because it is a problem solving medium, you know, because it's this organism that's constantly going and um, me and my partner were directing it and we had this theater set up. We had a two day shoot. We had like seven choreographers lined up. We had a 20 person crew. And basically we found out that my the, my friend who's the DOP for it ended up, you know, having a connection to someone testing positive for COVID. Oh my God. <laughs> and the day before the shoot, my um, partner's flatmate ends up um, testing positive for COVID. So that means we had to self-isolate. And I managed to get a director in last minute the day before. And then the next day he ended up um, not going to the shoot because he was coughing up blood. And it turned out he had, I think, um, a lung, like chest infection as well. And then we had to cancel the shoot, which was, it's drama. You know? It sounds so like it was cursed. <laughs> it really was. It really was. It, it was a cursed shoot. But I mean, we managed to come up with an alternative plan and have a turnaround of the shoot. So we had like, originally we were going to have like, five days to edit this but then we had to work out a way where i would shoot it but i would also basically do it on long lens and socially distance and do it based on the dancer's you know discretion and luckily enough we managed to get it done shoot it over two days and then edit it in two days and managed to get the whole process done and delivered to london fashion week which was absolutely incredible and then we found out recently it's the fourth most viewed video for london fashion week hey, considering congrats, all man. of that drama but it made me realize why I love filmmaking so much because it is this problem solving 
um, medium, which you don't really get in any other places because uh, apart from if you're running a night, running a night is a very problem solving problem. Like, you know, probably with you, anything technical is very difficult to do because mm. you have to rely on technology. You know, technology works best when you don't notice it working. So true. <laughs> so, yeah. so true. It, it, yeah, it only kind of throws a hurdle when suddenly one element goes wrong. And then, it's... yeah, I'm sure you've definitely had that. Oh, for sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Also, a bad workman bl- blames his tools. There are times where, you know, I've just done something wrong myself. But what, where can people uh, find this clip? Is that up on Insta? Um, yeah, it should be on YouTube. So it's um, Five Troubles, Emilio Della Morena. Um, it's there. I urge people to go and check it out because it's wicked. And I think it really kind of highlights your talent for making video content look and sound sick. <laughs> uh, I wish I wish I could take credit for it, but it was all of us. Like, because yeah. it was everyone who was involved from the editor to Harry, who was also the camera person, you know, my partner Lou, who was fundamental in the whole process. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's always a collective effort. And that's why I love filmmaking so much mm. because it isn't just, like you getting up on a stage, which is great, you know, as a poet, which is a really good niche for me to have in terms of like exercising that emotional muscle. Whereas for um, filmmaking, it's a lot more diplomatic, which I yeah. really enjoy. Yeah, because I guess spoken word is, you know, unless you're part of a bigger group, which is pretty rare, like it's a one man band thing, isn't it? Yeah. You're writing, you're performing it, you're, and it's the opposite. Of yeah, you're your own hype man, you're your own accountant, <laughs> yeah. you're your own, like, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Um, so, okay, cool, buddy. Uh, we have reached the show, which is called Eyes and Ears. Love it, love it. Eyes and Ears. Okay, that's for you. Dude, you like my jingles, mate? Hey, I'm loving the <laughs> funk, man. It's so funky. <laughs> so Eyes and Ears is the part of the show where we get our guests to give us a recommendation, something for our eyes to feast on and something for our ears to find blissful. So, uh, George Lawrence, what have you got for our eyes? Um, me? Just just watch me. No, <laughs> I have my face. Yeah, just that. Just just pull it on. Nah, um, I would I would have to say I'm waiting for the carnival, which is a um, Brazilian documentary film done by Marcelo Gomez, which focuses on this region, on this town in Brazil, which um, is almost considered the gene capital of the country, where everyone works independently in independent factories, as in jeans, as in trousers, trousers. Yeah, and their big payday is carnival. You know, when they and it's gearing up towards them getting ready for carnival. And it's the most charming documentary I've ever seen. It's incredibly charming because it breaks so many documentary conventions, such as the director breaking the fourth wall and then going into this beautiful sequence, which kind of makes it incredibly cinematic. You know, it's these cinematic guy is absolutely astonishing and how he gets these people to open up. And at the end, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but he's made really good decisions with it. And you just kind of like taken away with the journey thinking about a random place that you would never know existed and knowing that there's life happening right there. I love that. Well, look, so that was Waiting for the Carnival by Marcelo Gomez. That's up on YouTube, right? You can go and... Um, is, is that up on YouTube? I've seen, I've seen clips on YouTube. It might be... The Maybe the whole thing isn't. You've got to check probably on Mubi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm one of Mubi. these people now. Yeah, 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 I like that, mate. I like that. Um, well, look, I, uh, once you sent that to me, I kind of checked out what I could about it online and I fully agree, man. It looks so interesting and like mm. unique. So I urge people to go and do that. Um, okay, what have you got for our ears, buddy? Um, I have to, I have to recommend, I always recommend this podcast, which is 99% Invisible by, um, 
Radiotopia, which is, I've been listening to this podcast for years because it's all about art and design and it's how art and design come together in particular. There's one great episode where they talk about um, the California, you know, like the um, swimming pools, the ones that people skate in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about the story of how that came into America, that design. And how it influenced um, skaters all the way through, you know, California, where this design, I think, originally started up in Sweden. Really? In the 30s. And it goes into the history of, like, you know, the architect that came up with that design and how it becomes massive, integral to skate culture. To the culture, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, part of it. So they do little stories like that where they try to um, bring art and design together. And it's just so, it's so insightful. You know, there's some things that you're just like, Christ, I never knew about that. You know, or, like, in Oklahoma where they practice um supersonic travel but the reason why supersonic travel failed because of the fact of how loud it is you know and then looking into interviewing local residents about why it failed and in terms of how you can potentially do it better in terms of that design it's really yeah there's really really good podcast if you're a nerd like me basically <laughs> well look i love that look i think those are two great recommendations people should go and check them out what i really like about um what people bring to this segment is it's things which people should know about, right? These are things like people really think about what what are things which are really great. But if someone just started to listen to it, they're like, whoa, well, how, how have I been like missing out on this thing? And I think those are two prime examples of exactly that. So yeah, that was Waiting for the Carnival by Marcelo Gomez and 99% Invisible the podcast go and check them out that was our wonderful segment called eyes and ears so we are reached the final little outro bit of this podcast um time's gone pretty quick mate uh so the that's always the, a good thing uh, yeah it's good isn't it <laughs> um the kind of final question which i always ask is what are your kind of plans for the future with your spoken words any final words of wisdom and uh yeah anything you want to plug <laughs> uh i have to have to plug word of mouth um, check us out on YouTube, Instagram. Um, we're trying to get another night going. You're, we're, or we're trying to do something which is really ambitious, should we say, as a live space, you know, which watch that definitely, which should be coming out in a couple of months. But also, yeah, I've, I'm just basically working on this other documentary, which I've been working on for the past six months now, which is a passion project. And it's probably one of the most incredible experiences I'm going through currently as a piece of art which me and my partner are basically developing because it's just following on a story of a very interesting person who kind of has the world at their feet but it's just being dragged out of their you know dragged off of their feet you know and it's going to be a long process because we're probably going to end up keep filming this for the next year at this rate but i'm really really enjoying it so we're doing that and then it's also with my spoken word i'm aiming to release a lot more new stuff like today you know i have two new poems which i haven't really performed on a night yet so i have quite a lot of backlog you know it's almost my corona poems (laughs) lockdown (laughs) poems which i'm sure anyone can relate to where you're just like i've got ammunition now yeah um where can where obviously this doc's going to take a while right but in Mm. the future where can people find that do you do you think they will be able to um it depends because the thing is we we have to talk to pitch it to some channels for distribution so it really depends if we're lucky enough which i think we will because this subject matter is very very interesting and the access we got is very very great i sound like donald trump like that very very no tremendous (laughs) tremendous but it's it will depend on who basically ends up funding it for our distribution which 
could be yeah so i'm definitely going to keep it the moment i find out you i'll be gassed fingers crossed yeah. mate i will be sharing as much as i can um so look mate thank you so much for coming down but the final thing we need to do is remind everyone where they can follow you on instagram self plug 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 oh shit i have to plug myself now. you do oh. mate this is the awkward bit this is us brits being like oh i don't oh. want to sell myself oh, sell god. yourself now. oh god um <laughs> That sounds like Steve Coogan then. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Oh God. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, you can find me on, probably on Instagram is the only place you can find me on is um, tri- um, at Trigger Crappy. Yeah, it's Trigger Crappy. You heard that right. Mm-hmm. Trigger Crappy. Yeah. Where we can find lots of your photography, man. And mm. um, your yeah, spoken your, word as well. Your yeah. timeline is fire. So Trigger Crappy. C-R-A-P-P-Y uh, Mate, thank you very much It's been an absolute pleasure Having you on the show um, I've enjoyed having you down Just to remind everyone We have had Three pieces We've had The Revolution Will Not Be Televised Shark Teeth And Aluminum Carpet The Eyes and Ears segment We had just at the end there Was Waiting for the Carnival By Marcelo Gomez And 99% Invisible The podcast We've had Words of wisdom About videography we've had tips we've learned about your inner workings of your creative process and i've enjoyed it very much i love how you said aluminum <laughs> oh, did i that's because we mentioned american man did i really that's so american i aluminum. love it aluminum oh god aluminum carpet see uh see a stateside mate yeah. <laughs> i'm heading off the button poetry now um thank you very much mate and we'll see everyone listening next week much love thank you ciao